Welcome to the LifePoint Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We are currently preaching through a series titled, An Introduction to Wisdom. In our sermon today, Pastor Cody Cannon will be preaching through James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. All that to say, I'd encourage you to open up your Bibles to James, uh, the New Testament uh, wisdom book. And we're going to be looking at a couple different passages in James this morning. But today and last week are meant to function. We don't want to just say, hey, this is a year of seeking wisdom without kind of telling you what we mean by that. So my friend Sam was here last week with us preaching in the dark uh, when the power was out and he functioned as a sort of an introduction of wisdom from the Old Testament. This morning will be sort of an introduction of wisdom from the new. But let me ask you a question and I want you to think long and hard about this. What if the slogan for every social media website was, we exist to make you stupid? Do you think that they would, you know, be taking off like wildfire as they are? Or how about, how about this? How about this? What if every news outlet's catchphrase was, consuming too much of us will certainly make you stupid? Would you still watch? Or what if every politician began every speech that they made with aligning yourself too closely with me and my views will definitely make you stupid? Would you still listen? Would you still follow? And here's the thing. That's what's happening in the culture around us. Vividly and obviously. We're watching it. We are seeing it before our eyes, but even now, statistics are following. Statistics are actually following what we have all felt. We are living in a foolish time, and yet we are actually getting to see hard data that that is actually becoming our reality. Uh, in, a, in an article written for The Atlantic, uh, a social psychologist named Jonathan Haidt, uh, who's not a Christian, wrote this in his article, why the past 10 years of American life have been uniquely stupid. He wrote, American democracy is now operating outside of the bounds of sustainability. If we do not make major changes soon, then our institutions, our political system, and our society may collapse during the next major war, pandemic, financial meltdown, or constitutional crisis. And he's not like some doomsday writer or anything of that nature at all. He's just observing. What the, the real, our reality as a culture is we are becoming more and more foolish, or in our language, stupid. Now, here's the thing. Nobody wants to be stupid, right? At least nobody says it out loud. I want to be stupid. How I spend my time, my money, how I treat my friends, how I raise my kids, how I, I want to live my life in such a way that I am stupid and become stupider than I am currently. Nobody says that. Nor does any church say, we want our church to be stupid. No pastor, no preacher preaches sermons that says, I hope that this makes my people stupid. But what we are finding in our culture is floating along with the current streams will leave us uniquely and eventually stupid. And what this means for us then 
is that if we are going to become something other than foolish, we are going to have to swim upstream, which means effort, which means trying, which actually requires that we know a way forward other than being shoved downstream to the ocean of foolishness that is our world. And this is what our year is for. This is what we are doing. This is what we're doing together. This is what our time together this year is going to be focused on. We don't want to be fools. We don't want to be stupid. We want wisdom. And this is what we are giving our entire year to, the pursuit of wisdom. And God makes a good promise. And if you're following along with us and reading a, a proverb a day, today is the 8th. You read these words this morning in Proverbs 8, 17, 35, and 36. This is wisdom speaking. I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently find me. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. And so we believe that. That's what we're doing this year. We're seeking after wisdom. And God promises that if we seek wisdom, we find wisdom. We do. And, he, and the promises are there. Do we believe them? Whoever finds wisdom finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. Do you want life? Do you want favor from the Lord? And then the promises are dire in the opposite direction. And we see this in the reality that we live in currently. He who fails to find wisdom injures himself. We're hurting ourselves. We're hurting ourselves. We're, our, the mental health crisis proves that. We're hurting ourselves. The divisions in our culture are obvious. We're hurting ourselves. We're not better for our foolishness. We're dying because of our foolishness. And we're seeing that. The promise is there. All who hate wisdom love death. So this is what we're doing this year. We're seeking wisdom. Together, we're seeking wisdom. And as we're gonna find out today, it's not some easy, here, take this pill, swallow it, and you're wise now. That's not how it works. So if you thought a year of doing this is too long, sorry to tell you, that's just all we're giving to it together. We're gonna do this for the rest of our lives. This is what we're doing. So this morning, uh, by way of introduction, we're gonna, we're gonna answer three questions, just three questions together. What is wisdom? What does wisdom look like? And then finally, how do we get it? How do we get wisdom? So the first question we're gonna ask that my friend Sam answered for us last week is, what is wisdom? Now, that is not a super easy question to answer. And if you answer it quickly, you probably left something out. If you have just a complete, like, like direct, uh, basic, uh, really, really tight definition of wisdom, you're probably wrong. You're, you probably honestly have not answered it. And for those of us who uh, have kind of struggled when people have asked us, what do you mean by wisdom? And I've been asked that a lot kind of recently. You're doing a year of seeking wisdom. What do you mean by that? That's a good question. And those of us who struggle to sort of give a direct answer to that question, I think we find a lot of um, comfort when we actually come to the scriptures because it is 
hard to answer. It is a wide range of answers of what wisdom is. But the way that my friend Sam answered the question last week is the way that I would answer the question. Now, it's not direct, it's not small, it's huge, um, but at least it helps us get going. At least it helps us move forward in what we mean, what we mean throughout this year by wisdom. And so this is how Sam defined it. He said, biblical wisdom is aligning our entire lives with God's good design for creation. That's a big enough umbrella to handle all the subcategories of wisdom, okay? So it's, it's, it's saying, okay, God, you get to declare what is good, you get to declare what is not good because you are God. And I am going to align my entire life, every category of my life with that belief and that trust that you determine what is good and nobody else does. And you determine what is wrong and nobody else does. And so what that does, that helps us. The reason that that helps us is then we start getting into all the different categories, the way that we typically think about wisdom. So all the ways Proverbs uses it, things like knowledge, morality, choices, like wise decisions, skills even. We did that uh, skill, uh, we did that with wisdom. We accomplished that with wisdom. Uh, experience and even age. Now, none of those things and you guys all know this, none of those categories and the, you know, the couple hundred other ones that we could have thought of um, when it comes to things that we do wisely, um, none of those are inherently wise. None, none of us do become wise just by doing those things, right? We can, we can have an experience and then we can have that same experience again and then we can have that same experience again and it does not need to make us wise. It does not inherently make us wise, at all. You guys know people like that. You yourself have been that person that has not learned through experience to be wise, right? And people don't, you know, uh, skills is an easy one, right? There's like, I, I could tell you like a hundred things that I can't do very well skills-wise, right? So that takes time, but I could, I could never actually learn to do it. Um, and the big one is age, right? We know a lot of foolish old people, and, and the problem with the way that the Bible views wisdom is it doesn't say you just inherently get it. You don't just get it. You don't just like cross a threshold and now you have it, right? Think back to the definition. It is aligning our entire life with what God declares is good. So therefore, when we get when we become out of alignment with God's good way, whether we're old or have been doing something for a long time or we, you know, we, ha we have some knowledge about something, when we get off track, we are no longer doing it wisely. We must consistently and regularly come back and realign our lives with what God says. Therefore, my favorite way to define wisdom really is in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7 when he writes, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. I, the reason that I, this, <laughs> this is my favorite way to quote unquote define wisdom is it doesn't even define it. It just tells you where to start. 
It just tells you the foundation. It just tells you if you are building on something other than the fear of the Lord, you're not wise. You will never gain wisdom. You can live 70, 80, 90, 90 years of a life not building on the fear of the Lord and you have not even yet begun to become wise. Do you see that? It tells us where to start. And that means, beloved, there is no quick way to wisdom. There just isn't. We are told the beginning as if to say, all right, get going. Start with the fear of the Lord. And fools despise and hate wisdom and instruction. You ought to love wisdom and instruction. Go, go. And what we find in Jesus once we come all the way to the New Testament, what we find there is not something new. We just find someone new in that Jesus is the wisdom of God embodied. Do you see that? We see that Jesus then lived and taught wisely in a way that draws us to wisdom. That's why we are disciples That's why we sit down at his feet and say, teach us, not, okay, check that off the list. I am now wise. We sit there and we listen to him teach and we watch him live and we see what he does and that aligns with God's good creation and it is totally counterintuitive to how we would think about wisdom 99% of the time. You know that? He shouldn't die on a cross. He shouldn't be poor. And yet we see those in his life and they realign God's good way to be human. Do you see that? He's the wisest man that ever lived. And watch and see how opposite he is to the culture that we live in now. He said things like love your enemy. He said that to you. You know that? And forgive them. Forgive them. Even when they're really mean to you. Forgive them. That's counterintuitive to what we would think of is, is wise. And we need to understand that. When we see that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord, what that declares to us there, at least implicitly, we're gonna see it uh, overtly here really soon, is you, to gain wisdom, you must lose confidence in yourself. Your ability to determine right and wrong. You need to lose it, and it needs to fade, and it needs to deteriorate lest we become Adam and Eve in the garden. We go all the way back. And so telling us the beginning is the fear of the Lord implies there that we ought to lose confidence in ourselves. All right, our second question, to which we're gonna turn to James. What does wisdom look like? How do we know? How do we know if we have become wise or are becoming wise? What does it actually look like? How can we determine what is wise, and what is not. And thankfully, the whole Bible is filled with examples of that. And, uh, and next, uh, next week, we're gonna start a series in 1 Kings chapters 1 through 11. We're gonna look at the life of Solomon. Now, in the life of Solomon, we are not going to see God say, wisdom looks like this, or, and foolishness looks like this. We love reading stuff like that, but it does get boring, right, if that's all we're reading. No, he tells a story about Solomon, but it's a story told with a purpose. So he's gonna tell us the life of Solomon and he's going to 
show you. Hey, watch what happens when you give yourself over to a thousand women to be married to a thousand women. Watch what happens. Watch what happens when you, when you gain wealth that is, un, uh, like, is unimaginable wealth. Watch what happens. Watch what happens. Watch what happens when you don't take warnings given to you from God. Watch what happens. And so that's what we're gonna see. So we're actually able to watch and witness what, what wisdom is and what wisdom is not. And you can, we can even identify it in our lives. And I hope you can identify it out there in our culture that we live in now. That I don't just sound like a hater when I declare our culture is making us stupid. I'm gonna show you that that's actually an incredibly biblical thought, all right? So look with me at James chapter three. We're gonna start in James chapter three. Now, the book of James feels a lot like the New Testament book of Proverbs. It's like chunks of pithy sayings without a whole lot of uh, real clear ways that these pithy sayings are connected. Feels a lot like Proverbs. It's the wisdom book, the overtly wisdom book of uh, the New Testament. So here he says in verse, uh, starts in verse uh, three, verse 13. It says, hear the word of the Lord. Who is wise and understanding among you? So he's asking the same question as us. What does wisdom look like? What do are, what are wise people look like? He says, well, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. We'll talk about that. But here's the opposite. If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Sound familiar? But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, peace-loving, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This is God's word. What does wisdom look like? So what, one thing I wanna point out that's pretty obvious, I think you can see it here, is in these verses, James is declaring that all wisdom produces results. Nobody is sort of like benign in their wisdom. But what he also makes really clear is that there is two types of wisdom. Do you see that? There's not just one. There is a false worldly. And he uses strong language, doesn't he? It's earthly, it's unspiritual, and it's demonic, this wisdom. And he said, that's available. It's available. And a lot of people will choose it. And he gives us a handful of ways to, to sort of mark this, uh, this uh, type of wisdom. He says, it, there's jealousy, lots of jealousy, right? Lots of envy. And then there's selfish ambition, only looking out for yourself and people like you. Selfish ambition, whatever gets you ahead, he says, marks this worldly wisdom. And it's in, he said, and it's deep, it's in our hearts. And he said, he said, what you can watch for, disorder, it's chaos, right? There's, all, there's no order, it, it, it feels like a free for all, it's chaotic. 
And then he says, in every vile, detestable, disgusting practice will be unleashed into the world. I hope this feels familiar, doesn't it? I mean, this is what we have seen in our reality. And we've seen it on full display um, in an unignorable way in the last 10 years because of social media and just things like that displaying this uh, front and center. And I don't wanna always be like some social media hater, but, it, but the, the, result, the statistics are staggering. They're terrifying, actually. And they're coming out now in waves of what it does, of what it does to us. And one thing that it does very clearly is it puts on display that worldly wisdom has taken over. In um, their book, The Coddling of the American Mind, uh, Jonathan Haidt and Greg Luganoff uh, write basically of what they're, they're college professors and what they're seeing on college campuses. But in the beginning, their, first, their introduction is a chapter called The Search for Wisdom. Now, neither of them are Christians, but they go uh, in this book and ask, what is wisdom? Where can I find wisdom? And they go and they meet a fictional sage sort of oracle um, in Greece named Mesopinos. And he gives them three pieces of wisdom. And they use these three pieces of quote-unquote wisdom uh, to sort of use as a foundation for what they are seeing primarily on college campuses as professors. And he said, these are the three pieces of wisdom that are prominent today. One, what doesn't kill you makes you weaker. You're fragile. You're fragile. So someone says something real mean to you. Oh, that, that's a crime. That's painful, right? Second one is always trust your feelings. Always trust your feelings. If you feel it, it's true. If you feel it, it's true. Third is life is a battle between good people and evil people. Which one are you? It's us versus them. You're good, they're evil, right? And those are three very, I think, beautiful uh, summaries of the prominent worldly wisdom that in our day that is producing exactly what James says it'll produce. It's chaos out there. It's the, the disorder of the highest degree and we can't even ignore it. Like we can't put our head in the sand and not see it because it's everywhere. We're being told if it doesn't kill you, it makes you weaker because you're so fragile. You, you can't handle pain, struggle, or suffering. And if anybody else is a part of that, oh man, then they deserve the punishment of the highest degree. Always trust your feelings. If you feel it, it's right. It's true. It doesn't matter if they don't feel the same thing. They can have their own truth. Your truth is what you feel. And it's a, life is a battle of good people versus evil people. And if the, who are the evil people? Whoever is not on your side. Do you see how that's a Molotov cocktail exploding in the culture that we're living in right now? And that is worldly wisdom. And these two authors who are not Christians are calling these worldly pieces of wisdom, they're saying they are doing exactly what James said they were gonna do. Exactly. And they're right because James writes in the name of the Lord. But he says also God's wisdom produces different results. 
the first thing he says here is that if you have, um, by his good conduct, so you're, you wanna look for a wise person. It says watch his conduct, how he lives his life. That's how, that's how you find a wise person. How does she go about her day-to-day living and, and let him show his works, but in the meekness of wisdom. So one of the first results of being a wise person is meekness. And it's a hard word to translate, and we don't really use the word meekness all that much. Uh, another word that they use for it is gentleness or just simply humility. There will be no wisdom in arrogance ever. And that's prominent throughout the entire Bible when it speaks of wisdom. There is no arrogance when it comes to wisdom. Your life will be conducted in humility. And then he goes on and he says, but but the wisdom from above is first pure, means they're working their hardest. We are working our hardest to get the sin out of our lives. And that's just the same going all the way back to Sam's definition. We're trying to align our lives, every area of our lives, with what God declares is good. So we're, 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 we're struggling, we're fighting to get the sin out of our hearts and lives. And then he says, it's pure, then it's peaceable. It loves peace. It's not argumentative. It's not divisive. It's str- working to have peace. It wants it. It values it. It sees where there is disorder, where there is chaos, and fights for there to be peace. He says it's, it's open to reason. It's open to reason. We actually want to talk. We want to gain knowledge. And, and this is one of the reasons in that article 10 years or uh, why Americans have been uniquely stupid is because we won't hear from anybody else. We're not open to reason. So we just end up with our own view, but we, we end up stupid because we did it. We formed it. We haven't had any input from anybody else around us. And we can assume, wisdom would assume, that we're obviously wrong because we don't trust ourselves that much, right? And so we're open. We're open to discussion, open to reason. And then he just says, we're full of mercy, full of good fruits. Just watch our lives. We're impartial, we're impartial, and we're sincere. We, treat, we want everybody treated equally. We want to do unto people as we want them to do to us. And we're genuine. Listen to that definition. Isn't that beautiful? I would really encourage you, I'm gonna move on, but I'd really encourage you to meditate on this list of what it looks like to live a wise life. Pastor Ray Ortland says, let's never assume that we are living life by God's wisdom. Let's adjust to doing so and never stop adjusting. Writing of this passage, he said, never assume, never read that and say like, well, that's me. No, read that and say, oh, I gotta make some adjustments and I gotta keep on adjusting. Lord, help me. Okay, now the most practical, million dollar question. How do we get wisdom? How do we get wisdom? Read your Bible. All right, next point. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But seriously, we do have to start there. I have nothing else to say about gaining wisdom that I have not gleaned from the scriptures Period. So don't, don't think you are going to discover it by reading another book or another article or having a conversation with a person. Please, those things are good within the scope of having the categories of scripture. Please. You, and like, I'll say it this point blank. I'll say it this plainly, okay? 
Don't believe you are gaining progress in seeking wisdom if you are disconnected from scripture. Don't. If you are not regularly listening to the voice of the Lord, do not believe you are in any way seeking wisdom. Can I say it that bluntly? Now, let's go to the word of God and we'll see what James says in chapter one. Verse five, hear the word of the Lord. It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, that's a good way to start a sentence. Right, because I'm like, ask me, dude. I like, I'm lacking wisdom in all these areas of life. I lack it. But listen to what he says. Let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. And let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded. He is a double-minded man unstable in all his ways. It's God's word. Pretty quick answer, right? And so I, I just wanna pull a few things of, just kind of by way of observation from what James promises here. The first thing that we gotta say is gaining wisdom requires humility. Why do I say that? Because you have to come to the conclusion, I lack wisdom. You gotta come to the conclusion for yourself. I don't have wisdom. I'm lacking in wisdom. And if you're right now, and I'm not gonna make anybody raise any hands, but if you're like right now resisting that and you're thinking to yourself, well, I have quite a bit. <laughs> Let me tell you, brother or sister, you haven't started yet. You gotta come to that conclusion first. I lack it. I lack it. I lack it. In Proverbs 14, 12, one of the most sobering promises and declarations in all of scripture says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its way is the way to death. Think about that, what he's saying there. <laughs> it seems right to me, and it leads me to death. Proverbs 12, 15 says the same thing, only a, a lot stronger. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. Stupid people think they're right all the time. That's my paraphrase of what Solomon's saying there. But I want you to think about this. What kind of people would this type of foolishness produce? <laughs> A way that seems right to them all the time. A fool is always right in his own eyes. Think about what kind of people that that would produce. It would be the same type of people that James describes in James chapter three and it produced the same type of people you meet on social media. This is the type of people that are arguing on Facebook, right? This is the type of people who didn't go to their family's house for Thanksgiving because they voted differently. That's what this would produce right here. It's because they're right. It's us versus them. They're evil. We're good, right? Or these beautiful words from Proverbs 3 that are on most of our refrigerators at one point. Proverbs 3 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord 
and turn away from evil. Beautiful verses. My kids memorized these verses, you know? But I want you to think about how radical that command is in order to become wise. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Do you realize that is the opposite of trust your feelings, they're always right. You realize that's the exact opposite of that. It says do not trust, lean on, depend on your own understanding. Don't do it, trust in the Lord with all of your heart, with everything that you are. And it says in all of your ways, acknowledge him. And there it is, point blank. Be not wise in your own eyes. Don't do it. If that's your impulse, no, I am wise. You've already lost. You're already off track. It says don't be wise in your own eyes. Don't ever come to that conclusion. Always come to James 1 if any of you lacks wisdom. So if we are to have wisdom, it requires humility. Second, second, gaining wisdom requires desire. It means you gotta want it, right? I, I think that's plain. You will never come to the conclusion that you are lacking wisdom if you don't actually want wisdom. And frankly, that's what last week and this week are meant to do, is to kind of bring you to that desire, invite you to consider that desire. We want it. What this passage promises in James is that, that God is good and that he can give it, but we must ask. And we won't ask if we don't actually want it. We won't. And I want you to see something. This is a little bit nerdy, but I'm gonna, I want you to see it anyway. Um, what this says here in this translation when it says... Ask God who gives generously. Now, you can look at that and that, that says something beautiful, right? God gives generously. But actually what he's declaring there is, is actually something much, much stronger. When it says the God who gives, it, it's, it's using a title for God, like a characteristic of God. It, it, other translations do a much better job in saying something like the giving God, who gives generously. It's a part of who he is to give. It's a part of what he does, he gives. So James is not simply saying that God gives when he feels like it. He is saying God gives like God loves. God, God gives like God is gracious. God gives, that's what he's like. He's saying he'll give it to you because that's what he does. He, that's like telling someone, God loves you. Well, how do I know? Because that's what God is and God can't do otherwise. Same, that's what James is saying here. You should ask him. Well, why should I ask him? Because God is the God who gives. That's what he does. He wants to because that's what he does. Um, one commentator, Alec Motier, said this, in conformity with his practical approach to things, there is a beautiful directness and simplicity about the teaching of James. Whoever lacks wisdom can ask for it and God will give it, just like that. Such simplicity is either totally unrealistic or else finds its justification in what is known about God. For James, it is the latter. If you ask James, dude, why can I ask for wisdom? He would not say that has anything to do with you. He would say, because I know God. I know what God's like. You should ask him, because he wants to give you wisdom. 
And he wants to because he can't do otherwise. He is the giving God. Which grounds us in the third. Gaining wisdom requires grace. And that's what it says here. That we must ask in faith with no doubting. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. What this means, beloved, is that we can't earn wisdom. It begins, remember, again and again, I'll say this probably all year. It begins with the fear of the Lord. If you, if you remove yourself from that and you start saying, well, I'm working for wisdom. I'm earning wisdom. I'm deserving of wisdom. You're off track. You're off track. It, it is always dependent on grace. That if, if we are to have it, it is because God has given it. So if we are to learn, it's because he's teaching us. If we are to grow, it's because he is growing us. If we're to gain knowledge, it's because he gives knowledge. If we are, are to increase in wisdom, it is because he is providing that growth. We gotta ask him because he is the one that gives, but he does, and when he does, it's grace. Don't ever lose sight of that. It is undeserved, unearned help from God, always. Fourth one, the one that James is making a really big deal about here. Gaining wisdom requires trust. That's what he says here. He says, hey, if you're gonna ask, you better ask in faith without doubting. Now, what do you mean by doubting here? Because, I mean, I could doubt, right? Like, one day I'm feeling like an idiot, and I'm like, I'm gonna ask for wisdom because I really need it, right? Is the doubting like doubting that I am going to get it, right? Like that, that man, I'm, I'm too big of a moron to actually get wisdom. Is that what he means here? No. I think James would just be like, yeah, you kind of are. Like, <laughs> no, like, oh, yeah, that situation is really hard, and you are not the dude to do that, right? Like, I think he would just, like, pat me on the back and say, you're not wrong about that. No, the doubting here is what he just made mention of, the characteristic of God, that God gives. If you, if you for some reason, go to ask God, and you're like, I don't really know if you're good. I don't really know if you give. I think you withhold things from your kids. I, th I think your heart is not all good, all gracious, all kindness and mercy like you say that you are. I don't really know if you are that. And so what it requires, gaining wisdom requires trust, that we would trust. And he says, those who doubt, man, you're doubt by this, that, and the other thing all over the place. Look at the connection and the context of which he's saying this. Back up to verse two. He says, count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. Then read verse four. He says, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. And then he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, ask for it. What's the context for this promise that he'll give wisdom if you ask for it? Suffering, pain, trials, struggle. And he says, don't let that stuff take your eyes off of the fact that this good God is a giving God. Don't let that stuff toss you back and forth. Don't let the brokenness of this world change 
who God declares that he is. He will not change. He is who he says he is. And he will, be, he will never be otherwise. Go to him and ask for it, but you trust that he is the way that he, who he says he is. Now listen, in our culture, doubt is often viewed as a virtue. Especially if you're, if you're younger in this room, I think it's, it's a new-ish development. Doubt just makes you seem like you're smart. That, oh, we can't really know. We are taught that doubting is humble and, and knowing is arrogant. You've seen that, right? To declare, I know what truth is, is just looked at as arrogant. We are intimidated and mocked by our culture if we claim to have any knowledge of the transcendent or mysterious that if we claim to have truth, but do you see how foolish that is? I hope you see how foolish that is. We are allowed to know that our doubts are good. We are allowed to know that we don't know, but we are never allowed to know that we know truth. That's stupid, and we don't have to bend under that. If everybody tells us our doubts are better and our doubts are humble, we don't have to bend to that. That's ugly and wrong. But the Bible never does this. Doubt in the scriptures is not an end in and of itself ever, ever. It's never just said, hey, be doubting. It's good for you. Never. And listen, oh, the Bible is filled with struggles to believe. Over and over again, struggles to believe. The doubter will find much comfort in Scripture all over the place. Struggles to trust in God. The Bible never belittles the doubter, ever. It, it absolutely, there is encouragement in the Scriptures for those who doubt. But it never applauds the doubt as an end, as a goal. And thank God, because those of us who will wrestle with doubt, it's not fun it's not good, it's hard, it's painful. And so we don't say, yeah, it's great that we just get to be stuck here. That, the Bible would not be kind if it did that to us. But it is kind. We are invited in scripture to know and trust God and we are to keep all of our doubts in perspective with what God has revealed about himself. We are to take the, the posture of the man and Mark that yells out, it comes to Jesus with a, with a demonic kid, demon-possessed kid, and the man looks at Jesus and says, listen, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. That's a double-minded man, right? He's saying right there, if you can, I don't know if you can. I don't know if that's what you're like. I don't know if you'll have compassion. I don't know if you're full of mercy. I'm not sure, but if you, if you can, would you please? And Jesus says, if you can? No, listen. All things are possible for the one who believes, for the one that has come to the conclusion that he can trust me. Anything's possible. And then the father said, the posture that we ought to take to ourselves, I believe, help my unbelief. I don't wanna stay unbelieving. I do believe, but I want more belief. I wanna learn more about who you are and I wanna learn more that I can trust you with every area of my life. I want that, help me please. Do you see how that perfectly captures what James is saying in chapter one? He has humility, he's there before Jesus. 
He knows, he, he has desire. He knows he wants whatever Jesus can offer. He knows that it requires grace and he's lacking in one thing. I don't trust you like I want to yet. Help me trust you. Help me trust you. And he's calling now, help me in my unbelief. Not, I have my doubts and I'm proud of them. Which is the posture that we often take. And so I want to invite, really quickly, if you're here this morning, and that's you, and you've kind of been enslaved to the sort of doubts are awesome mindset, can I invite you away from that today? Not, not because it's not hard to believe. I hope you'll never hear that from me at all. That would be hypocritical of me to say anything like that. I've struggled a lot with a lot of different areas. But I want to invite you away from that as though it's good, because it's not. And you can know God, you can know God. Now, that might take time, but God has revealed himself in such a way, specifically in the person of Jesus, that can reveal that you can trust him. You can trust him. And even in the midst of that unknowing or the waiting for the answers, you can trust him. You can trust him because of what he has revealed about himself to you and for you. So I want to invite you this morning to trust him. Let's conclude with three just observations from all of this. And I want you to take these three, and I'd encourage you, uh, I don't know, how, maybe in your Bible as you read through Proverbs with, the, with us every month, all year, as you write these three conclusions down. Number one, God has defined wisdom. He tells us what is wise. He decides what is wise and what it looks like. So that leads us to the second conclusion. Remember this all year. God must give wisdom. He must. He's the one that gives it. Apart from him, apart from fear of the Lord, we do not have wisdom. Third, God will give wisdom to anyone. To anyone. Don't you dare forget that. Anybody. Anybody can seek wisdom and the promise is you will find it. And that's based on him being the giving God, not on you. It's grace. So let me close with this. Story of a, of a young guy. He gets to be king. After his father, who was an incredible king, best king that ever lived in this particular land. And God shows up to this man in his dream. And he asks this man, ask, in honor of your father, ask whatever you shall and I'll give it to you. And the man's response was, you have shown great and steadfast love to my father. You've taken care of my dad. I've seen that with my own eyes. I've watched you be faithful to my dad. You have kept him this, with this great love and, and steadfast love. You've stuck with him. You've stayed with him. I've watched you be faithful in his ups and his downs. I've watched you be faithful to my father. And now, he says, you have made your servant king in place of my dad, even though I'm still a little child. That's how he sees himself. He's perfectly qualified to be king, but he sees himself. I'm not qualified for this. I'm too young to do this, but you're making me king. And he says, and your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people. They're outnumbering all other nations right now, the most powerful nation. You're putting a kid in charge of that. He's assessing the situation and saying, I shouldn't be here. I lack wisdom for this. And so he says to God, give your servant 
wisdom to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil for who is able to govern this great people. See what he did? He looked around, assessed the situation and said, I lack wisdom. God, give me wisdom. It is this man's life that we'll look at for the next three months. But I wanna invite you to come to that conclusion today as well. Assess the situation. Your life here, our lives here is hard. It's complicated. It's frustrating and it's confusing and it is overwhelming often. So my invitation today and for the rest of the year is go to your father who has defined wisdom and will give it away to you freely and ask him, give your servant wisdom. Give your servant wisdom. Let's pray. God in heaven, thank you for everything that you reveal in your scriptures. That Lord, we can talk this morning with so much confidence as we come around the scriptures speaking of this topic of wisdom because you, we can speak confidently because you've spoken so much to us. You've helped us so much understand who you are and what you've promised and I praise you for it, Father. I praise you for it. Would you help us now, Father, as we examine the life of the servant who asked for wisdom, would you give these servants here ordinary people, ordinary people, who just want wisdom in this world and culture that we're living in now. Make us wise. Here I pray in Jesus' name.